We are doing a series called The Protestant Transformation, not just the Protestant Reformation. Um, see what we did there? So clever. Anyway, um, I want to uh, show you this, this series of statements. Um, if we could get that slide, Caleb, that'd be great. Uh, Back about 500 years ago, the anniversary is, is uh, this October, actually, when Martin Luther nailed his, uh, his protest, uh, so to speak, to the, the doors of the church. Um, the, our fathers and mothers were talking about the things that, that mattered, um, what was significant and important, things like um, the scripture alone is our only authority for how we can know what to believe and how to live. Um, and that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And because God does everything, he alone gets the glory. And this morning, we're going to be zeroing in on faith alone. Um, what does it mean that we are to trust in Christ, and that that faith in him is really the, the, the means of access into having a relationship with him? And, and it's not our works. Um, the way that uh, most recently, uh, a bunch of um, pastors and theologians have put it, this was a, a statement called the Cambridge Declaration of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Whew, that's a name. Anyway, um, they put it this way, uh, justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. This is the article by which the church stands or falls. Today, this article is often ignored, distorted, or sometimes even denied by leaders, scholars, and pastors who claim to be evangelical. Do you agree with that? Do you, do you even kind of, are you tracking with what it's saying is a, a more foundational question that our salvation is by faith alone, through Christ alone, uh, so what does that mean, and is that truly the consistent message of churches? More importantly, is it really the message that's in here? Um, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Um, I want to read verses 8 through 10 this morning. Let's stand in honor of God's Word. These are familiar verses to many of you, but if you're if you're new uh, to the church or to the Bible, these are very important words. Um, so let's, let's give our hearts and our ears to hear God's word this morning. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me pray for us. Father, would you bless us as we heed your word, as we take it to heart. Pray that we be transformed by this gospel. We thank you for offering to us faith that we may believe in you and receive from you all of your good gifts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so last week we were talking about all good gifts coming from the Father of lights who doesn't change, who is perfect and good himself, um, so therefore what comes from him is perfect and good. Um, 
But how do we receive those gifts? You know, it's one thing to be offered riches and blessings, but if we don't know really how to lay hold of them to, to enter into that, then we're still stuck. Um, so what does it mean that, that we receive God's grace through faith alone? Um, Paul gives us a great you know, summary of what that means here in these few verses uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. I want to talk about being saved by faith and not by works and you know, by being saved by faith in Christ's works, uh, basically. So there's a distinction there, our works versus Christ's works. Which ones save us? Um, when we talk about being saved by faith rather than by our works, I don't think it's a stretch uh, for people to lay hold of the fact that we, we certainly aren't saved by our bad works. I don't think I need to belabor that point, right? But the other side of faith is um, the dynamic of repentance. And, uh, and we need to uh, spend just a little bit of time on what is repentance. Because um, when we say we're not saved by our, our works, that means that we have to recognize um, what our works are really worth. Our, our works aren't worth much at all. Um, in fact, we have some bad works, uh, things called sins uh, that we commit. And, when we talk about repentance, that means turning away from, from that. We're turning away from our sins. And repentance uh, is a turning toward Jesus. It's turning away from what we know is against him or contrary to him and turning toward him. And that means that repentance is more than just going, meh, about our sins. Repentance is more than just sort of a casualness toward what is contrary to God. Um, when you read about repentance in the Bible and when you hear our fathers and mothers in the faith talk about repentance, they talk about an emotional response to our sin. It, it's, it's a recognition that sin is sinful. You ever thought about that? Sin is sinful. And it deserves a, a, not just a mental you know, way of recognizing, oh, that's bad, and I should not do that, but a, a sort of a guttural response to sin. Like that sense of revulsion that you feel when you see something really ugly or awful. Uh, do we recognize sin for, for what it is? Um, there's this genuine sorrow uh, that the Bible describes when it comes to our bad works, rather than just sort of a generic indifference. So um, repentance is not meh. Uh, re repentance is godly sorrow. Uh, and it's a, it's a spiritual revulsion toward what is contrary to God, to what we know displeases him. So uh, another way to think about repentance is it's the forerunner to faith. Um, does it make sense to say that you can't have faith in Jesus without repentance for sin. Does that make sense? Another way to say that is you can't turn toward Jesus without turning away from sin. Uh, some, I don't know how we get this idea, but some people kind of feel like, well, you, know, you can have Jesus as, as Savior, um, and then having him as Lord it kind of comes second, kind of comes afterward. That's for really super spiritual people. And, and I, that can't be true. Just because basic dynamics of what it means to turn toward Jesus in faith means I'm turning away uh, from that which is contrary to Jesus, that which is sinful. Uh, so faith in Jesus has repentance as its forerunner. 
Um, and what's interesting is that the gospel has always included repentance, uh, and you see it in John the Baptist when he began his ministry. Uh, his fundamental message, as uh, probably uh, many of you are familiar, John the Baptist was famous for you know, preaching a, a message of repentance, and he was getting people's hearts ready for Jesus, and he would say things like, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's in Matthew 3. And then Jesus comes along in Matthew 4, and guess what his message is? Same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, and so you can't divorce repentance from faith. Um, we're not, I know we're not saved by our bad works, and you know we're not saved by our bad works, but we've got to turn from our bad works. Now then there's a difference between repenting of what is sinful and, and sinning again. We, we do that. Our, our repentance isn't perfect. There's a difference between repenting and sinning again versus not repenting at all. And just kind of being indifferent to the whole episode. So we're not saved by our bad works. By all means, we're not saved by those. But there's another sense in which we've got to repent of our good works. We're not saved by our bad works, but we're, we're definitely not saved by our good works either. What does it mean to repent of your good works? I thought good works were good. Why would we repent of that? Well, what we're talking about is repenting of any sense in which we think that, um, well, I do good things, therefore God's obliged to me. And we presume upon you know, our, our uh, position before God. We believe that our bad works are really pretty minor when, it compared, when compared to our good works, uh, and therefore my good works so much outweigh my bad works that God, God's, of course he's going to bless me. Of course he's going to save me. Of course I'm, I'm secure in him. Um, but it fails to recognize things like when, you know, John the Baptist again says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't presume upon your relationship with God. So don't presume upon your good works that you're, that you're secure. Um, be mindful that the Bible, if we were looking at James last week, um, James chapter 2 says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of, of all of it. Um, and what we mean by this is that you can't think, well, because I keep the law over here and I'm really, really uptight about these things and I do a great job when it comes to these commandments, you know what, these commandments over here, I don't do such a great job. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just sort of conveniently choose to ignore those things and just focus on these things and therefore God, of course, you know, he's going to recognize this list. I'm going to be fine. Um, remember, well... It was actually a couple of years ago we did the um, Relational Wisdom Conference. Uh, and in that conference, they, uh, the guy showed us a clip from a movie called The Pursuit of Happiness. Maybe you've seen the movie. It's a good movie. Um, and in that movie, Chris Gardner, uh, he's, just, he's virtually homeless, <clears throat> and he's got a son to take care of, and he's trying to break into the stock, stock brokering, uh, brokering business in San Francisco. And he's relentless, and he's a hard worker. He's just, you know, hanging in there. He's just banging on the door uh, relentlessly to get a job. And he finally lands an interview. Um, <laughs> but as it turns out, before the interview, uh, he, he gets arrested. 
uh, for uh, failing to pay parking tickets. Uh, he was arrested on his way uh, from painting his apartment, and he gets out of jail, somebody bails him out, and, uh, and he runs, literally runs. He's a hot, stinky, sweaty mess trying to get to his long-awaited job interview with this stock brokerage. Uh, that, that is just, this is his dream, uh, to get hired. And he, he literally walks into this interview with about three or four of the execs uh, and the owner of the stock brokerage, uh, and he's got painting clothes on, he's sweaty, he's a mess, and you know, they're all just sort of snickering, like, what is this idiot doing having an interview with us? But Chris is pretty winsome, uh, he yucks it up, he cracks a few jokes, and the, the interview wraps up, and the owner of the company says, Chris, what would you say to me <clears throat> if a guy walked into here without a shirt on, you know, Chris is basically wearing a t-shirt and he's covered in paint, like, presumably, you know, he's, he's saying hypothetically, are, are, what are you going to say to me if I hire you? What, what would you say if, if, if a guy walked in here without a shirt on and I gave him a job, what would you say? Chris sort of thinks about it. I'd say, I guess he must have had on some really great pants, you know. Okay, uh, you should watch the movie. It's a much better line than I can deliver. Uh, but the point is, it, you can't say to God, I've got really great pants on, and, you know, walk in without, uh, you know, your shirt on. Uh, you can't say, I've, I'm good over here, therefore I don't have to worry about this part of the qualifications for the job. Uh, it's, it's either a pass or fail. And so we've got to repent of our good works. Um, going back to the Cambridge Declaration, says that there is no basis for our acceptance before God except in Christ's saving work. There's no basis except in Christ's saving work. Not in our patriotism, churchly devotion, or moral decency. The gospel declares what God has done for us in Christ, and it is not about we, what we can do to reach him. Does that make sense? You know, we, we've got to recognize the sinfulness of sin on the one hand. We've also got to recognize that, all right, I may have on some really nice pants, but I still fail in some other areas when it comes to the law. And I really don't have anything to stand on when it comes to my own efforts. I'm not saved by my works. I'm saved by faith. Saved by faith in Christ's works, to be more specific. We are saved by works. Let me put it that way. It's just not my works or, or your works. We're saved by the works of another, by, by Christ's works. Um, so there's a sense in which we can put it this way. We rest in Christ's work on the cross. Um, faith, saving faith, is repenting on the one hand and resting in another, on the other hand. Repenting and resting. Turning from sin and trusting uh, in Jesus. Trusting in what he did on the cross, right? On the cross, what did he do? He was our, our substitute sin bearer. Um, he took our place. He's the Lamb of God. All throughout the Old Testament, you see these pictures of animal sacrifices, blood that is shed. Jesus shed his blood. He was the perfect, pure, final, once and for all sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. All who put their trust in him. 
can have their sins taken away because he is our substitute. Um, let me read a, a verse from uh, a couple of verses from Romans 3. This is going to be an earful, so just, just listen real quick and then I'm going to break it down. Paul in Romans 3 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Justification, redemption, propitiation, all big church words, and I'll break those down in just a second, those things are to be received by faith. That's how we get those things. That's how we get those blessings. And believe me, you want those things. You may not really know what, what is propitiation, for one thing, but you want it. You want it because propitiation, what is that? That is simply, it's a, it's a big word for fundamentally talking about you're right with God again. Your relationship with God is reconciled. He's now for you. Propitiation, uh, pro means for. He's for you again because you've been reconciled through what Jesus did to take away everything that was wrong relationally. You know, when you get sideways with somebody, a friend or a spouse or, you know, a classmate or teammate, um, and you, things are just off, they're wrong, and you don't want to talk to each other and you're kind of giving each other the silent treatment and avoiding it, or maybe you're, you know, going, going to town against each other and throwing down, I don't know. But something happens and it's just, you know, oh, you know, either I'm sorry or it was a misunderstanding or whatever it is, it reconciles you. And the fancy word is you're propitious to each other again. You're for each other again. And God is for you by faith in Jesus. There's a propitiation for your sins. Um, there's justification. Justification is sort of this, um, it's a, it, well, it's a legal term. It basically means we were felons spiritually and God has forgiven our crime. You're not guilty. You're considered a lawkeeper now if you're justified. Uh, he also uses the word redemption. That's a, that's a financial term. You know, when you redeem something, uh, you buy it back and well, you know, redemption points to the fact that our sins make us sort of spiritually bankrupt in God's eyes. So all these blessings, propitiation, justification, redemption, those are things that God has done for us through Jesus. And how do we get those blessings? By faith in Jesus as our substitute sin bearer. When he, took, when he went to the cross, that's what he was doing taking our sins away, justifying us, redeeming us, reconciling us to God. And all who have faith in what Jesus did to take our sins away get those blessings. How do we get them? By trusting. By faith. To be received by faith. Trusting is, you know, we're using this word resting. What does it mean to rest? Um, we got a... Uh, an eno, do you know what an eno hammock is? Uh, there's, there's the hammocks from like Cape Hatteras and they've got the big wooden things on the ends and the ropes and you know, it's flat and, and they're nice and they're relaxing and you can sit in a, in, a, in a traditional hammock. But an eno hammock 
just has two lines and you can hook it to one tree and another tree and it's basically just cloth and it balls up really nice and you can carry it and travel with it. But when you get in it, it's a different kind of hammock experience. It's more like a cocoon uh, than a hammock. And you lay in that and the sort of the sides come up over you and you just feel all snuggly and it's lovely. And you just sit in, your, in, in the Eno, and, uh, and, and that's the mental picture I have of, of rest, of trusting in the work of another. Like, faith is getting in an Eno, and it's completely supporting your weight, it's completely enveloping you, and that's what it means to trust in Jesus. Let him and his work envelop you, and surround you, and cover you. Um, I was reading this account about a missionary, and he was sitting at his desk, looking desperately, you know, for a word, uh, translating the Bible. Uh, he, was, he was translating the Gospel of John into the language of the African tribe with which he was working, but he didn't know their word for faith. And while he was pondering, a member of the tribe came into the missionary's hut and threw himself into a chair and uttered an expression which meant, I'm leaning all my weight on this chair. And once the missionary leapt up, he leapt up and he starts dancing with joy, exclaiming, I've got my word. Faith is leaning all your weight on Jesus. More can be said about faith than that, but surely that's at the heart of it. It's getting in the Eno and it's putting all of your weight into, into something to sustain you something to support you, and that's, that's the work of Jesus. So we rest on him alone for salvation. Um, and not just in his work to take our sins away, which is what he was doing as our substitute sin bearer. Jesus was also our representative law keeper. So when you think about a substitute, if you're in school and there's a substitute teacher, you know, that person is taking your teacher's place. Well, Um, Jesus took our place when he took our sins on himself, but he also took our place as our representative when it comes to the law. Because the law demands obedience. God's standards have to be kept. That's holiness. That's what he made us for. He made us good. He made us very good. And he gave us a conscience. And he said, you're going to bear my image. You're going to reflect who I am to the world, and we've done a lousy job of that. Okay in some areas, and really awful in other areas. And we don't keep the law, but Jesus did. Jesus did it perfectly. He was our, our representative law keeper. Um, you know, it's one thing, as we talked about sin uh, being a form of spiritual bankruptcy, it's one thing to be redeemed, to have your, your, your debts forgiven. It's one thing to be redeemed. It's a whole other thing to gain an inheritance. If you get all your debts forgiven, guess what? What do you got? You don't know, but you don't got anything else. You're just kind of back to square one. You're back to baseline. But when you get an inheritance, you have riches. You have glory. You have goodness. Um, John Bunyan you know, back, we're, we're back in the 17th century now, you know, remembering some of the, the gains of the Protestant Reformation. Um, John Bunyan was in prison for preaching the gospel 
Um, he was in prison and for 12 years. Halfway through his prison sentence, he wrote a book called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. It was his spiritual autobiography. And he, he reflects on how one day, as I was passing into the field, this sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. And with the eyes of my soul, I saw Jesus at the Father's right hand. There, I said, is my righteousness. Jesus. There is my righteousness. So that, you know, wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say to me, John, where is your righteousness? for it was always right before the Father at his right hand. I saw that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse, for my righteousness is Christ. Now my chains fell off indeed. My temptations fled away, and I lived sweetly at peace with God. What what does it mean for you and me to live sweetly at peace with God? Forget the striving, forget the trying to earn your way, forget the whole thing about, all right, I've had a good day with God and therefore he likes me and I had a bad day and therefore he must not be very happy with me and all that. Just rejoice that Jesus is your righteousness. Bunyan went on to say, now I could look from myself to him and could reckon that all my character was like the coins a rich man carries in his pocket. Just just a, a little bit of odd change. That's what my righteousness is. Just a little bit of odd change that a rich man carries in his pocket when all his gold is safe in a trunk at home. Oh, how I saw that my gold was indeed in a trunk at home in Christ my Lord. Now Christ was all. My righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Jesus is where your riches are. And he was your representative law keeper. So everything that you're hoping for in terms of trying to live this good life and do what you're supposed to do, um, those things are completely satisfied in Jesus. And God looks at you and you are approved because of Jesus. When we talk about being saved by faith, it's not just believing that Jesus took my sins away. It's also believing that through his active obedience, he obtained for me a record that is flawless. I'm flawless because of Jesus. So we've talked about, you know, we're not being, we're not saved by faith in our own works. We're saved by faith in Christ's works. Um, But we're also saved by a faith that works. Look at at the rest of our passage here um, when it says that we're not saved as a result of works so that no one can boast, right? So it's not my good record. It's Christ's good record that I boast in. Verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So because it's Christ's work and not my work, I don't have anything to boast about. Um, Paul says the same thing to the Romans. He says, what then becomes of our boasting? Well, based on the gospel, it's excluded. 
By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith, because we're talking about faith alone. And if our faith is in Jesus and his works, we're not boasting in our works, we're boasting in his works. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Why? Because James says that a faith without works is a dead faith. It's a dead faith. Does your faith work? I mean, is it functional? Is it operational? Will your faith do for you what you want it to do? It does no good to say, I have faith in Jesus, if your faith is broken. Does that make sense? How do you know if your faith works? Well, you know if your faith works because it will work. And it will do good works. Um, You know, as Paul says here in Ephesians 2, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. A working faith is a walking faith. It's going to... It's going to be active. It's going to, it's going to uh, be visible to people. You know, a, a faith that's dead, on the other hand, isn't doing anything. It's, it's vegging out on the couch in front of the game perpetually. It's watching other Christians be very kind of active about the kingdom, and you're just kind of sitting back going, well, I'm saved by faith in Christ. I don't need to do anything. Uh, it's this kind of faith that, that chooses to walk on the other side to avoid needy people because you don't want to get involved. It's faith that chooses, you know, dead faith, that chooses to spend all of its money and all of its resources and all of its time and all of its energy on you instead of, you know, expressing love as you uh, give your life for, for others. That's what dead faith looks like. It doesn't walk. It's very passive and inactive. So what we're talking about is we're not saved by our works, but we are saved by a faith that works. We're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone, is how our fathers and mothers used to put it. Let me put it this way. When we talk about being saved by faith, we're all talking about going to heaven when we die, right? I mean, as you think about the, the traditional gospel message, when you think about what does it mean to believe in Jesus so that your sins can be forgiven, so that you can go to heaven when you die. That's how, and that's very important. We all have to know that we're immortal beings and we're going to spend a, a very, very brief part of our eternal life on this planet and then we go to glory and things are transformed and so on. So, and if we want to be with God forever, we have to trust in his son. If we don't want to be separated from God forever, we have to trust in his son. But can I tell you something? Eternity starts now. And if you want to know whether or not your faith will work on that day, whether it's functional, whether it's going to accomplish for you what you want it to accomplish, namely eternity with God in his new heaven and new earth forever, you can know today whether it works. Don't be like, um, you know, the funny part is is I was going to bring in a parachute this morning. I was going to bring in a parachute. Um, You know, a parachute's this great example of faith, right? You're trusting that the parachute's going to work and that uh, ordinarily if you jump out of a plane, bad things happen. But if you have a parachute that works, it can be a very pleasant experience, I'm told. Never tried it. Maybe one day. But doesn't it make sense if you're going to go skydiving that you would check your equipment? I mean, there's this whole blog, you know, thing. Go check it out. Of of just the, the, the sheer lunacy of people that go skydiving and they don't check their equipment. You know, and all these people saying, don't do that. There's, you know, do your three point check. 
Why? Because you want to make sure that your parachute works. Do you know that you can make sure that your eternal life parachute works today? You make sure that you have saving faith, true faith, real faith, not dead faith, not counterfeit faith, false faith. How do you know if you have faith that works? Well, because your faith will work. Let me put it this way. Saving faith, saving faith can take criticism. You know, it'll sting. It's not pleasant. You don't want people to, you know, give you a hard time or even insult you. You know, saving faith can say, all right, I didn't measure up to your standards, but it's not going to destroy you. It's not going to undo you. You don't have to get super defensive and out of, uh, been out of shape. You can even look for the good in that. All right, so this is what you're saying. Here you're saying this, that, and the other. Okay, I can own A and B, but I'm not going to own C because I think you're kind of out of line on that. But I can learn from that. And we don't have to be sideways over that. Look, if you knew what truly was wrong with me, <laughs> that's only, you don't know the half of it, right? Saving faith can take criticism. Why? Because our condemnation is taken away. If you really believe that Jesus rescued you from the criticism of the law, what in the world does so-and-so's criticism mean to you? Unless you haven't really laid hold of what does it mean that I'm delivered from condemnation. Saving faith doesn't go it alone. Saving faith isn't afraid of what people think. Saving faith isn't afraid of what people think because our approval is forever cemented in the approval of God for us. We have God's smile. I don't care if other people frown at me. Yeah, it's not pleasant. I get that. But it doesn't mean that I have to you know, spend the rest of my life hiding from people not being vulnerable, not opening up, being a loner, and uh, failing to engage relationally, and not even being uh, able to talk about stuff that's hard for me. Talking about my failures and confessing sins and all that. You know, if you truly believe in Jesus, then it means your faith works. And you can open yourself up to other people without fear of rejection. If they do reject you, so what? Jesus has accepted you. Saving faith works. It, it's not only able to confess sins, it's able to forgive when other people sin against you. Saving faith recognizes the worth of what God has done for me, and it looks at the, the, the pettiness of other people's sins against me compared to the weight of my sin against God, and it goes, you know what? I've been forgiven a million dollars worth of sin. What's $100? Of, of an offense that somebody else has committed against me. Instead of being bitter and instead of you know, writing that person off, uh, saving faith can actually have the power to forgive and restore relationships. It doesn't get mad, it doesn't blow up, it's not you know, writing people off. Saving faith that works, real faith, walking faith, saving faith, trusts God. When adversity comes, hardships come, you know, things are bad, whether it's a little bit of disappointment or whether it's a disaster, it's not looking at God and thinking, God, I did so much for you. You owe me the American dream. And we get mad at him and we storm off. That's not saving faith. Do you really believe 
that God's done everything for you, that he's proved his love for you in Jesus, that's saving faith. And saving faith trusts him. He's proved his love for me. I can trust him to to spin some gold out of this straw that I'm encountering right now. Saving faith works. It's functional. You can test your parachute today before you take that big leap one day that we're all going to have to take. But it doesn't mean that all of us have perfect faith, right? I'm not, I'm not criticizing your faith, but I do want to challenge those of you uh, who may need to think very seriously, what am I trusting in? But we all have to grow in our faith. All of us can lay hold of more of the riches of Jesus. All of us can enter into a more rich, robust relationship with Christ. The apostles. The apostles go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, increase our faith. Shouldn't that be all of our prayer? Let's pray. Father, if if the apostles could ask to have their faith increased, certainly we can. We do pray that you would show us more of the glories and the riches of Jesus so that we would grow in our our security in him, that we would grow in our joy from knowing that our, our sins are forgiven, that we've been given an inheritance that will never fade, perish, or spoil, kept in heaven for us where our true riches lie. And Lord, would you help our faith to work? I pray that it would be functional, that it would be demonstrable here and now and not just when we die. Lord, please let people see the glory of the gospel at work in us. The gospel that frees us from condemnation and fear and shame and worrying about what everybody thinks. Worrying about being exposed. Worrying about being vulnerable. Lord, let us open ourselves up and Rejoice to be uh, in relationships with others because of the power of our relationship with you. And Lord, would you um, use us uh, to help others know the glory of what it means to trust in you alone. That you have given yourself freely for us. That we can be delivered from sin's curse in the next life, but indeed even in this life. And we pray this in Jesus' name.